at SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. As I said, we're going to have an audit. We're going to have a conversation around mental illness affecting the youth of this country. We're going to unpack it. It was uh, the thing that triggered us is a letter that was penned by Faneli Sibonge in Debele, who is a final year student at Stellenbosch University. And uh, he penned this really heartbreaking story around mental illness and the fact that at some point he, he actually didn't know what was wrong with him. He just thought, you know, something is wrong, but I don't know what it is. And I want to welcome uh, Faneli Sibonge on the line with us. No, in fact, he's in our Cape Town studios. Welcome to the show and thank you for being so brave and putting this article together. Afternoon, uh, Pamela. Thank you so much uh, for inviting me. What triggered the courage to put this letter together? For me, there was a realization, and I think a lot of young people share this sentiment, that we are definitely in a crisis when it comes to mental illness, mental health, particularly the mental health of young people. Mm. We've been experiencing and seeing a lot of our peers go through uh, this uh, different types of issues and we have lost a lot of young people to suicide because there is there are no structures, there's no support and there's no information and so young people don't know how to go about um, seeking help or addressing this issue. So for me, it became when I was when I was asked to um, if I would be willing to write an article mm-hmm. on any issue that. So it wasn't about I was not asked to write about you know a mental health or mental illness. I was given scope to say any issue that is being faced by the youth in South Africa today. And within seconds, I knew what I wanted to write about because it was such a personal story to me. I myself have lost friends um, who have taken their lives and who are living with different types of mental illnesses. And I had have been experiencing and continue to experience this. So it became very important for me. And I saw this as a wonderful opportunity not only to tell my story, but also to create awareness through my story so that young people know that they are not alone. There are so many of us out there that share the same story and it's very important for us to create awareness and to create a platform for robust dialogue mm-hmm. and to start be- to begin to create platforms for accountability. And I think that was something that was very important for me when I was writing this. I wanted to write a story that will resonate with many young people out there so that they understand in the your, magnitude of the situation. In, in your article, you state that, you know, you, you didn't have the vocabulary to, to name this thing. It's not something that you grew up hearing about and so on. So when did you recognize that this is an illness? At what point did you get to grips with the fact that I have a problem? And, and I'm going to speak to our psychologist a little bit later on, because at some point, even though you didn't have the, the vocabulary, you did reach out for help, but nobody got you. Yes. So, you know, having to to, to experience this and not knowing what's wrong with you, Mm. you are then told by people around you, you you, you're just sad or you're overreacting or it's okay. And, and, And in some instances, you don't blame those people because they themselves don't have... The, the vocabulary or the information to be able to, to, to really push you in the right direction to seek help. So in the letter, I talk about an experience that I had in my matric year, whereby 
I completely broke down. I remember this day like it was yesterday when I was sitting in the office and I was crying uncontrollably and I knew that something was wrong. But I could not express, I, I could not say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious or I feel this way. It was just a matter of I was breaking down. So when, so we started tracing, looking at what had happened. So it was a stressful time, matric year. So I was told, oh, it's the stress of being in matric. I had um, experienced an assault a few weeks prior. So I was told, oh, you ju- you're reacting to that trauma which there was an element of truth to that. And so or, and, and, and so they did not, we do not look further than that. So a counselor was called, it was a trauma counselor that was provided. And I remember when he arrived, he said he had expected to see someone who was completely broken down, just a mess. And I mean, I, was, I had been sent back home. I you had know, taken a nap. I, I woke up. I was feeling fine. And so, and he affirmed that and said, You've, you're fine. Mm. So I moved on with my life. It was only when I got to university in my, and it wasn't even, in, it was probably in my second year that I realized that I'm not fine. I still do not know what was wrong with me, but I was not fine. <laughs> and in that moment, I decided, let me go to the Center for Student Counseling and Development and tell them that I am not okay. And perhaps then they will be able to help me find out what is wrong with me. And I truly believe that is the one decision that saved my life. It was a difficult decision to make. And I was in a fortunate position to have people around me who understood why I needed to make to do that, to take that step. And the reality is a lot of young people live in their own darkness and they don't have people around them who are going to push them in the right direction and say, reach out for help. Those people might not necessarily be able to help them, but they might be able to encourage them um, to to seek help. So for me, I had those people in that moment who pushed me to just make that decision. I'm going to just uh, include and and welcome Charity Mgone in our conversation, clinical psychologist who joins us now also on the line. A very good afternoon. Thanks for joining us, Charity. Thank you very much for having me, Lelong. I mean, just listening to Fanilis Bonge's story for me strikes me, strike me, strikes me in many ways because, first of all, just being able to articulate something is wrong with you, um, and when he eventually met somebody who said, "But you are fine," so he he had the courage to speak up, and then mm. a professional said, "You're fine." Can you help us understand and define what is mental illness? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was also quite jarring reading his um, experience in the article about the notion that people still have that mental health issues, or depression in particular, has has a certain look, mm. that it's presented in a certain way, it looks in a certain way. And I think that's part of the issue with our young people who struggle with mental illness and not being able to articulate. I think um, the biggest problem or big problem when it comes to that because it doesn't feel valid that for a large part they're seen as people who are very capable people who um, have a bright future ahead of them who have a lot to be happy about and nothing to really be sad or depressed about and I think it becomes very difficult for them to then find the words to be able to feel like the articulation of how they're not feeling is valid and that it is something that is an illness and I think that's one of the biggest messages 
and one of the biggest advocacy that need to go around mental health issues, that it is an illness, depression is an illness, that is an illness, um, symptoms of post-traumatic stress, all of those things are illness, and it is when we change the language in the language and see it as an illness, then we'll be able to um, see it as something that warrants treatment and can indeed be treated. Yeah. Um, I also want to uh, ask to join the conversation Joy Chang, who runs a Survivors of Loved Ones Suicide. Joy, thanks very much for your patience. You're coming to us from Durban, and, and thank you for the work that you do. Uh, I just want to ask you from the people that are left behind often, do people find it surprising when, when a family member, for instance, commits suicide from your experience? Um, for the people who come to the support group meetings, uh, most of the time they actually absolutely devastated. They can't understand why this has happened. They're trying to blame someone for what's happened. Um, but basically what we do is we tell them to do almost like a psychological autopsy and go back a month in that person's life, speak to people, find out. And often, you know, by the time they come to the next meeting, they've actually started to understand that the signs were there, but they didn't recognize them. So, you know, we want them to understand that only professionals could probably recognize the signs, but if people are more educated, they can. But a lot of the, those people have now gone on to help other people understand that there are signs to look for um, and that they didn't notice those signs. But they have to understand that, you know, not everyone has access to that information. So sharing that information is important to prevent suicide. In your, in your letter, Fanelis Bong, I see that you, at some point you, you said, you know, I, I can't carry on, I can't do this anymore, almost warning people that you're about to commit suicide. And, and yourself, Joy, are a, a suicide mm. survivor. What stopped you in your tracks? Let's start with you, Joy. Okay, so for people who've lost someone to suicide um, or people who've attempted it, any cry for help needs to be taken seriously. Mm. So, you know, they, some people might be repeating it over and over and then people go, oh, you know what, they're just looking for attention. Th that same person will probably commit suicide and then everyone's going to go, oh, but why didn't I pay attention? Mm. You have to take it seriously. And, and as I said, you know, what, what stopped you on your tracks? I believe you're a suicide survivor yourself? No, I actually just run the support group. I have lost some friends, etc., to suicide. And, um, yeah, just basically help other families through, through their losses. But mm. it, it's, it's very devastating mm. for everyone. It's not a death, you know, an accidental death or something that you, that you can comprehend. Yeah. That person chose to do that. And so that is what makes so many questions unanswerable. And it's just, yeah, people will never get those answers. Mm. So we try and help them to put as many pieces of their puzzle together as they can and, and learn and understand that they're not going to get all the pieces. But it gives them comfort knowing that, you know, mm. they've got most of those pieces. Ch Charity, the warning signs, the warning signs, they, they are so different. They vary from one person to yeah. another. Um, and, and I think that's part of the problem that sometimes people say, ah, you're seeking attention. Ah, you'll be okay. We, we, we are so quick to have a response to somebody crying out. How should we know that this is a serious warning sign? Hmm. So when it comes to attempts at suicide, someone's thinking about ending their own life, it usually is there. So like um, the guest mentioned that it is there when you backtrack and you look at the person's speech, what the person says. So suicidal talk 
um, talking about or hinting, making hints at not being around in the future, saying goodbyes to people, frequent sadness, tearfulness, crying, uh, decreased interest in activities and inability to enjoy previously favorite activities, a sense of hopelessness, social isolation, poor communication, all these things that are possibly not in keeping with the person's personality or how they usually are, usually are experienced, mm-hmm. are all warning signs. And it is always the case that before someone, um, unfortunately, then unfortunately, that someone has a successful tempered suicide, all these things have probably been present um, for an intended period of time in those cases. And it was never taken as something that was serious, it was never seen as something that was business to actually go ahead with and do. And I think the one thing to always bear in mind for loved ones and family members and people who have experienced this is that the person who goes through this um, is not being selfish, they're not trying to do something to think, oh, to fight family or something that's malicious. But it's the sheer hopelessness. And I think something that um, is penned down in this letter is the, the, the sense that your back is so against the wall that facing another day feels like an absolute impossibility. And I think it's that hopelessness and that level of helplessness that we need to be in touch with when people make threats of suicide, when people and our loved ones communicate um, the sense of overwhelming helplessness or hopelessness that they may feel or experience. You know, Fanel Spong, I, I picked up on your letter that um, it's it's difficult to eventually get to the right kind of help. You know, that's quite difficult. But yesterday, I think, or the day before, there was a flurry of, of tweets. Um, and what was trending was somebody who made fun of the fact that they wanted to commit suicide and, and eventually said, no, I just wanted to trend. You said that you had written this letter for young people. When you see things like that happen, you know, in social media, and what do you say? So for me, firstly, it truly angers me a lot when you have people who make a mockery of such an such an important issue. And if we talk about when I say that we are in a crisis, we are definitely in a crisis. And there needs to be a recognition and there needs to be an acknowledgement from each and every individual to say we are definitely in a crisis and it's my responsibility to educate and empower myself to understand mental illness and mental health, any type of mental health challenge. So it's very important to create a platform for accountability. In my case, I truly believe that writing this letter and opening up to young people has put me in a platform where I can continue to be an advocate for mental health. And this places a responsibility on me to be an accountability mechanism to call out these types of behaviors, to, 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 to ensure that I create a platform for education and for information. How, there is also a reciprocal obligation upon each and every individual who is exposed to this, this type of information. So people who don't necessarily, and so we live, and social media has provided a, a you know, a, a wide community where we can exchange information, exchange ideas without even knowing each other. So it's about how do we utilize that platform for good? 
and ensuring that yes there will an understanding that there will be people who wish to make a mockery or wish to utilize the platform for 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 bad so how do we counter that by creating a platform where we can hold those types of people accountable and and and, and hopefully create a platform where they can understand where they have gone wrong and where how they can inform themselves mm-hmm. and also understand the danger of their behaviors mm-hmm. and attitude mm-hmm. because that type of situation where you have an individual who jokes about suicide in, in, in order to to, 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 to to trend on social media, it's that type of behavior that prevents other individuals, other young people to speak up because it, there's a danger that they do, they, there's this fear that they, they will not be believed. We spoke about, you know, wanting this idea that you want attention. So to create that, that, that environment is extremely dangerous. Yeah. Charity, you know, when I, I read the tweets and, and I went through her thread, I also wondered, isn't she seeking some sort of attention and maybe she herself is reaching out for something? She may not have been interested in committing suicide, but wasn't, isn't there something there that I, I just got concerned? Now, obviously, I'm not a professional, but I don't know what your take is on this. Mm, absolutely, Pamela. I mean, as you were discussing it right now, that was my immediate thought. But oftentimes, we as psychologists do believe that things get in jest and things get in passing. In effect, it's quite health. It's something that is something that underlies it is a lot more serious. Yeah. So I think um, it is. It is in, in some sense a cry of health. Mm-hmm. And I think it's perhaps the shame and the stigma that comes with mental health that people often retract. Some of these statements, even if they're not okay, they want to be seen and perceived in a certain way. And if it is so part of the stigma of thinking that depression discriminates somehow, that you, you can't be in a certain way, you can't be um, this or that, and you still have depression, you can't be different, and still have mental health problems. So I do certainly think that even things that in jail, and I think this is something for uh, people, everyone to be aware of, that it, it's not... It seldom is just a joke. It seldom is just a seeking attention. Um, even if it's said in a way that depicts that, it is usually underlined by a need to perceive and a need for someone to understand the anguish that the person might be feeling. Yeah. Joy, I've I've heard people who who get warning fatigue. So somebody has survived suicide. And mm. and every time they there is a warning again that you know I'm I'm about to do this or their signs, then c- people kind of say, ah, please, you know, they're not going to go through with it and whatever. H- how do you deal with that from your experience? Okay, so um, from a um, clinical psychologist's point of view, um, because we do interact with them quite regularly, um, you know, there is a chart which actually shows when someone's at their most depressed, that is the least likely time they actually are going to commit suicide. When they start coming out of that depression and feeling better, they're actually physically and mentally able to plan their suicide. So when they actually seem to be making progress and healing, they're actually at greater risk. So that's something people must be aware of. And, I mean, you you have to take every threat seriously. So, you know, even if it's someone, I mean, because I'm also part of a crisis team and we go out to situations where, you know, people are attempting suicide or have committed suicide and we're dealing with people. 
And we always say, you know, the, the parents will sometimes say, you know what, I'm sure this child's just wanting attention. Well, you know, the thing is, are you getting the child the help? Why are they wanting that attention? Have you taken them to a psychologist? Have you taken them to a psychiatrist to get medication? Because a mental illness is a chemical imbalance in the brain. It's treatable. You, you know, you need to get them on the medication. The, the thing is, I mean, it's also parents have to be proactive in that situation or, or the, the people who are there as support for that person need to say, you know, what can I do to help you instead of just, you know, brushing your, your, your words away. You can't do that. Sorry, I so cha- charity, is it that simple? Is it all about get a diagnosis, uh, get medication and then you're good to go? Um, not necessarily. I mean, there is um, evidence that it is a treatable disease. Most mental health issues are treatable. But I do think, that going back to the point that the, the panelists just made now, that there are some cases that people, when they come out of a very severe, depressed episode, it empowers them actually to have the energy to commit suicide. That is usually in the case of receiving inadequate or ineffective treatment. So there are enormous um, papers and enormous uh, evidence to show that the treatment is effective, but it needs to be carried out by a mental health practitioner to see a psychiatrist or psychologist to ensure that the treatment is um, as effective as it can be. Because I think the risk of not treating it adequately or ineffectively far outweighs um, the benefits of actually reaching out for treatment. So it is something that's treatable, and I think it's the efficacy of treatment depends on receiving help from mental health practitioners. And it is something that is a combination both of chemical imbalances and things that happen physiologically, and I think taking into account people's experiences, people's life experiences, the um, variety of things that they've been through, the stresses that they currently are facing that may exacerbate some of the symptoms, and also um, the support system that the person can also play a huge role. So I think with mental health issues, in as much as they are treatable and they can be brought under control, it, it is like a process of it takes a village to raise a child. It does take a village um, to help people who have mental health issues, um, young people who have depression. It's the teachers that are involved, the parents, everyone around them that rallies around them in understanding and creating an awareness. And it is saying about receiving proper treatment from mental health practitioners. I'm going to take your calls on 891 but uh, I do see you, Temba. I'll come to you in a short while. I want to just quickly go to Utile Saku now for the latest in headlines. It's 2.30. At SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. Our conversation this afternoon is on a youth mental health crisis in South Africa. Uh, we were encouraged by this letter that was written by a finalist, Wong Ndebele, final year LLB student at Stellenbosch University, who eventually got help, but his journey was just so harrowing. And uh, he is our guest this afternoon. I'm also joined by Charity Mkone, clinical psychologist, and uh, Durban-based Joy Chang, who runs Survivors of Loved Ones Suicide Organization. I'm taking those calls on 891 207. As are you calling us from Durban? Good afternoon. Calling us from Durban. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm well. I'm well, Skombozo. How are you? I'm um, good. Um, 
I, 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 as a student, um, now I'm, I'm now no longer a student, but as a student, I once experienced uh, mental health mm. problems. Mm. And uh, although I didn't stay long in the mental facility, I stayed for about five months, and uh, but uh, I was able to recover from that. Now, my 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 bigger input into this is is I don't think we should just uh, confine the issues of mental health to the academic. The, the, the issues of mental, mental health are much broader than the academics. They, they also involve the spiritual. They, they, we, we hardly talk about the spiritual aspects of it. Um, I, I'm saying this because in my particular case, there were also spiritual elements involved. And I, I was able to get over it through, through the acceptance of that fact. Just so, elaborate, Kumbuzo, on what you say. Um, the spiritual element means we as human beings we have got, I mean, we all have got, there's a physical being, which is, which is what you see, the body and, and the mind. There's also the spiritual element which involves uh, the, the, the other life outside of the physical. Um, if, if you want me to refer, for instance, we are all spiritual beings. For instance, uh, we've got Sango who, 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 who practice some spiritual things. Uh, we've got uh, uh, the, the Christians who also worship God. In other words, they involve the spiritual, the God, the, the angels, the Jesus, whom we also the Christians live in. We've also got Muslims. So by spiritual, I mean the element outside of the physical. Okay, so how do you want us to add it into the... So you add your bit, because you, you need to elaborate on that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm saying when we address issues of mental health, we should not confine ourselves to only the physical or only the academic uh, uh, aspect of it. There's also the spiritual element which does involve. Um, uh, it, it, uh, I don't know how... What, what, what is your input on that particular issue? That's what I'm trying to get to. So you are saying do this, but I'm saying take it further. What is your input on that? My input is develop a relationship with God. Um, you see, let me, let, me, let, me, let me say this. I, I when I, my, okay, let me, let me, let me maybe put it in this way. When I experienced, I, I had uh, a hallucination. Mm-hmm. I had vision. Yeah. Uh, I had even uh, uh, some out-of-body experiences. Mm-hmm. Things that uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the academic or the panel of experts are not um, uh, able to assist me with. They can only assist me with, like you said, the some of the imbalances in the brain and talk about uh, giving me more chemicals like what doctors do. But they cannot help me with the spiritual aspect. You'll be means, surprised. Let's my relationship look. My relationship with God, I, I, I don't know, maybe I might sound, I might sound, um, um, how can I put this? I think, I think you're, you're conclusive in, in your understanding of how these, uh, the, the panel can help you because we haven't asked I them. So, so let's, let's ask I, them. You don't know. You don't know. Yeah. You've, con- you've confined them in thinking Someone. that they can't. Let's ask them. Maybe they can. Uh, Charity, you want to respond to that? Hmm. I think from what I'm hearing, being able to maintain balance in life and that being uh, a key or one of the factors to having healthy mental health. Um, And as much as that's correct and it's something that is helpful, 
I do think that reducing it then to something that's solely a spiritual thing or um, some people believe that it's um, chakras or the energies that are not aligned and all those things. It's not to make more of people's belief systems and what people find meaning in in life, but it's to place depression and other mental health issues in their rightful place as illnesses. So the same way that if someone breaks their leg, um, you would want them to get help for that. The same way someone gets a diagnosis of, say, diabetes or um, hypertension. That in as much as they can maintain their religious beliefs, their cultural beliefs, traditional beliefs, there is something that's wrong with them. It's something that they can actually receive help for. So I think that it's important to also have a balanced view of what it is um, that depression is about and having facts and knowing about it, what it is that other mental health issues are about, so things like anxiety um, and the role then that the person's social um, network, the person's social cultural support system as well as their religious beliefs play the role that they play. But I think it's not to minimize uh, mental health issues, depression in particular, as an illness. Isn't part of the problem, and he's gone now, so I can't ask him, and the difficulty here is, say, for instance, I put together a panel of yourselves and then I then added a sangoma. Then someone else is going to say rubbish, and because all of our belief systems are different, it already eliminates the authenticity of someone's experience, if that makes any sense. So if I only say you are experiencing mental illness because then someone who doesn't believe in it is going to say, well, rubbish, there's no such thing. So I don't recognize your illness. That for me is a difficulty. So so how wide do we go and who are we going to allow to to vet um, somebody else's experience because he may believe something else, Christians believe something else, and then we're going to have this debate about how authentic this illness is, whereas if it's a universal illness, it helps us, I suppose, to start from a, spe- a specific base. Hmm. I think, Pivello, it's very complex because at, at this point in the country, at this point in the world, uh, we don't really have the luxury to be debating about it, given the staggering statistics of people who die by suicide, given the, the burden that mental health issues are putting on the economy, are putting on, on the uh, health system. So it is something of a crisis, I think, at this point, in terms of at the at this point, of seeking around it. Yeah. And that, that's quite separate. And it is then about being more proactive in the treatment of it as an illness. And it's not to do away with the differing thoughts or the alternative debate. But I think it is about finding a way to have something that has now become a crisis. The statistics as they stand right now, what we know, is that there are 23, 23 completed suicides in this country every single day. And an estimated 230 um, serious suicides every single day in the country. So I think um, treating it as a crisis that it is and bringing in people who who can treat it, who can ensure that it doesn't get to a level where it ends up in suicide, or it doesn't get to a level where um, it's crippling the nation as it is and it's becoming a, a silent killer. It's the first cause of call that it's... it's 
in as much as we are respectful, I mean, if you go to a mental health practitioner, we will not discredit your belief, but discredit what it is that you believe. But if, if you check the boxes, for lack of a better term, and it seems that you, you do present with symptomatology of depression or any other mental health issue, and that you can be treated, then I think the priority is to receive the treatment so that it doesn't end up in suicide. It doesn't end up as, a, as an attempt at suicide or um, what we ended up with with the life epidemic crisis. And I think it's that, gra- that gravity of what we're dealing with um, needs more need people to be more proactive in creating the awareness uh, and not to say that you do away with it, just creating the awareness and seeing it for what it is and the research that's out there. And I think being aware of the, the damage that it's creating. I'm going to come to you in a short while, because you touched slightly on this around belief systems and and what you found was difficult, for instance, where you came from, because there were all these uh, belief systems around who should have mental illness, what is it called, and so on. So I'm going to give you a chance to respond to that. And I also see your calls, Michael, calling us from Pimville, and I see you also, uh, Shan, who's calling us from Naturena. I will take all of your calls on 0891-104-207. Life, life happens with Pimelo Motine. In fact, on Twitter, I'm seeing a tweet there, somebody questioning, well, is there really a, a youth mental illness crisis in South Africa? And rolling their eyes at us, that kind of a, a response that we're getting on Twitter. Charity Mgone, clinical psychologist, joins us. Uh, Joy Chang, who runs uh, Survivors of Loved Ones Suicide Organization. And then Fanil Sbong in Debele, who is the person that inspired us to have this conversation. He's a LLB final year student at Stellenbosch University. And I am opening the lines on 0891 uh, I said I will give you a chance to respond to that caller a little bit earlier on your take on it we we the issue that we're facing is that and I've my personal experiences and then I, I allude to that in the letter mm. is the culture that is created particularly in black communities there's a certain culture of silence that uh, we create and we hide behind certain beliefs that we had we have or are, are told this is this is how this is the status quo this is how things are, are always uh, have been and one of the biggest issues that i noticed was the issue that with mental illness because there's a lack of understanding and there's lack of information as to what it truly is and all the different aspects and the intricacies it's been reduced, number one, to a certain identity. So I don't, and, and for me, in my own personal experience, growing up in Ladysmith, we would have certain individuals who were termed as mentally ill, and they would be in a, cert, a certain identity. Most of them will be homeless. So that is the face that was created, and that is the belief that we had, that if you say that I am mentally ill, that is the criteria, that is the face, that this is the type of person that you, sh- you need to be. So how can you be mentally ill? You look fine, you are le- leading a normal life, you are going to school, you're going to work, you're waking up, you have a family, you have a home, you have everything that you need. So you don't meet that standard or that criteria for what is termed as a mentally ill person. We were also made to believe that it is an illness that white people 
um, experience, mainly because I found that within the white community, in my community, within the white community, there were certain conversations that were happening around mental, mental illness. Now, I can't obviously comment as to the extent of those conversations, but there was a certain understanding. So you can't have a white illness if you're a black person. And so that was another belief that we were, we were, we were, that was so entrenched in us that you can't be mentally ill. Then feeds onto this issue that surely then there must be something wrong. And then we go into then people, certain people who have, um, beliefs if you're a Christian that be like okay something's wrong with you spiritually you need to pray more you need to go to church more you need to confess your sins or whatever way you can to order to because there's a certain heaviness you're carrying sin and that is you know a lot of people that live with that narrative they're told that something's wrong with them because they have done something wrong in the eyes of God if you have certain people that allude to other certain types of religions they allude to the fact that there's something wrong with you in that aspect now I also want to comment on the the importance of in my I'm, so I, I I'm a Christian. I had to also understand the importance of my faith in my journey of healing. That so we can't really disregard the understand the, the, that idea that in whichever type of spiritual alignment you find yourself in that it doesn't play a role in your journey of healing. So for me, I had to understand that as a Christian, what do I need to do in terms of finding do I need, in terms of seeking guidance and assistance, but understanding that at the end of the day that I need to seek medical assistance. I need to seek professional medical assistance. But also I was told that it's a matter of understanding myself and what I need to do. So, so for some people, I'll make an example. If you are uh, someone who's a sports fanatic, they'll tell you, listen, find something within sports that really you love that you are able to find a sense of meaning so i think it's a, a wide thing and, and i think mental illness is extremely contextual and it's very important for us to look at the individual journey and look at the individual identity but we cannot move away from the fact that they, at the end of the day there needs to be professional medical assistance so um, for me that is something that's very big and that has hindered a lot of our progress and a lot of our healing within young people because we are told that it's not legitimate and we need to look at other areas other avenues of our lives to find meaning or to find find uh, the root of the issue yeah. where we yeah thanks very much for your patience michael welcome to the show you're calling us from pinville hi how are you man good thanks for calling michael fine man. and then i started developing i don't know i hear it say depression but now it has taken its toll i firstly lost my wife and my kids and he prevented me from seeing them from 10 10 full years then I started developing this depression. I didn't know what is depression and anxiety. I only heard it on the radio, but now it has taken its toll. You know, it affects me. I commit, I almost committed suicide twice. First, my friend saved me because I hanged myself. Mm. Then secondly, I took the red poison machinator. Mm. But uh, luckily, uh, my next door neighbor, he was passing by. He could hear me, like, moaning in the house. Then they... You know, I feel so helpless. I want to be out of this this thing. It affects my, my even my relationships. I don't cope at all. I, you know what? There's sometimes there's no reason. You know, I I I I, I see no reason for me to be to be in this ex living. I prayed. I tried all the churches, but this remains remains like an evil spirit to me. You know, 
I'm, I feel so helpless and hopeless. <laughs> and empty. You know, when you talk about emptiness, I am empty. I need help. So, uh, one day my friend called Sadak. I, I don't know about that, 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 that Sadak. I didn't know nothing about it. He said, no man, you must make a plan and talk to them. Then I heard you talk, to, when I was listening to the radio, I heard you talking about this topic. You know, I am so, it affects my sexual life. It affects my, my ability to think. It affects every angle of my life. Michael, I I don't, I, 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 you know what we're going to do? I'm going to put you on hold um, yes, and, yes. and we're going to try and assist you uh, maybe in, in, at depth. Uh, Joy, you've heard this many times, haven't you? Yes, we have. Mm. Uh, and, and what's the immediate thing he can do? What, what okay. do if, if they're not close enough um, to come to meet face to face or if they don't have access to a phone to call the SADAC suicide um, line, um, I don't know if you have the details we'll, of the we'll suicide to, crisis line. We'll give it to him and, yeah. and try and put him in touch yeah. with the right so, people. So that's first point, phone the crisis line. Um, they'll try and get someone you know, to, for, or arrange for him to meet with someone because definitely if he's in crisis, he needs to meet someone face to face. Yeah. Um, failing which, yeah, you know, we can try and find out who the health practitioners are closest to him, you know, the government hospitals, where he can go because, you know, he, he needs that information. Yeah. That's, that sounds like he needs that's a lot of help. very important. Joy Chang, really thank you so much for making the time to talk to, talk to a survivors of loved ones suicide organization. I also want to thank my guest, Charity Mgone, clinical psychologist and the person who inspired this conversation, Fanil Swong in Debele, who is a final year student at Stellenbosch University. That letter is tweaked. Uh, we've already uh, tweeted it and we'll share it with you. I really want to thank all of you for also tuning in to the show today. Let's do this again tomorrow. It's now almost three o'clock and uh, the focal point is, is next and uh, I want to thank all my producers as well for putting this together. It's three o'clock. Let's go to Utsila Saku for the latest in news.